Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As our nation celebrates now 247 years of independence, freedom was more than an official signing of something on July 4th, 1776. The founding fathers saw how their loss would be gained for future generations. John Adams wrote his wife on July 3rd, You will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I am not. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means. And that posterity, which means the future, will triumph in the day's transaction, even although we should lament it, which I trust in God, we shall not. There's another freedom transacted at great cost by God. He did this in the very midst of the garden when man fell into sin and he shared it with our first, with our first parents. And it was meant to be for humanity, this freedom. The Lord has sent his good news in Christ even to the freest of nations that there could ever be such freedom. So over the past weeks, our gospel reading has dealt with Jesus' missionary sermon to his disciples, Matthew chapter 10. This includes, as you've heard, specifically calling the apostles by name, and then sending them out to go first to among the Jews, to Israel. While well, he began those opening words of sending with urgent need, saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, his sermon ends today with a reality check. How this sending was no walk in the park. It's not going to be with a nice drink on the beach. And at the same time, whatever the loss would not outweigh the gain. Not merely for his disciples, but for any who would receive them. The gospel sent out has never been a small task. But neither is the freedom of peace going with you, given in Christ Jesus. And so there's an evident problem you heard today, a great tension. Jesus finishes not with words of peace, but mentioning a sword. I mean, the language today is kind of mundane. We think of medieval ages and swords. So maybe today we could say he mentions a gun. Violent image, that sword, a sword that invokes different reactions when people hear about such a tool. To some, they shut their ears, denying such a possibility. Jesus doesn't mean what he's saying. And so kindliness is the way of peace. And the cost is including compromise with Jesus and his word, 
to fit such a course in life. Others here soared, and especially as for the younger people, the younger generation, I know how I felt about that. When I first started in learning theology at a very young age in pre-seminary, but you hear sword and you start to think about the craving to take up arms and fight. This is what some of the apostles themselves also held in their hearts. Many, a couple of them for sure, were zealots. They most likely even carried swords with them as Jesus' disciples. But yet both mindsets, whether to deny Jesus mentions this reality of a sword or to really say, yeah, let's go get the mentality, that's what Jesus means, both miss why Jesus has to declare at the end of his missionary sermon, they miss. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. The grave division comes from Jesus before sinners that already claim their own kind of peace. The disciples would discover what that means too. At the birth of Jesus, we know the angels sang peace to the world. But at the same time, not too long, a couple years later, Herod would take up arms to kill that baby Jesus or try to in Bethlehem. Jesus, in sending the apostles out to Israel, had told them to greet any home that you come to, any city you greet, and first thing, greet with peace, regardless if they are going to reject you. The clash comes with a sword because the world has already settled for peace that's false, empty, and the biggest thing is it cannot save sinners. Against deceptions of peace, Jesus later told his disciples on the night when he would be betrayed, he told them, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Christ's peace is yours, and repentant faith holds to this freedom from Satan's darkness. For a nation that wants to celebrate freedom, we're sure kind of loose in coming to the Lord to repent and believe the greatest freedom that God can give to any people in any nation as a gift given His Son. It's not about falsehood, but forgiveness. Not being captive to death and the worries that it brings, but joy and eternal life. And the honor to call God our Father. The baptized know this battle within. You know the battle because you're a saint and a sinner still. But the world also presses against this peace. You know this in many ways far more than me. It belongs this pressing against, though not to you, but pressing against Jesus and his kingdom of grace. And so opposition against the gospel is going to hurt. 
Matter of fact, it is Christ going before our very lives when we feel that kind of a hurting. It's not the hurting like when I woke up literally this morning before my wife woke up, looked out the window, and oh Lord, a tree branch that's the size of Lord knows what laying out there just missed my fence. That isn't the hurting we're talking about. In every way, it's a personal kind of pain. And so this does cause deep grief. And a person's enemies, Jesus says, will be those of his own household. For some time, cultural association to the church and Jesus have been there. The older ones know what that means far more than the younger ones. But that was a love on the surface, unable to last. It's kind of like the veneer on a table as it gets down thinner and thinner. It's hard to imagine any here who have not felt the sword Jesus speaks of in their family. You find this suffering with the saints of old, so don't lose this perspective. Don't become too narcissistic. The saints of old knew this. Right off, Cain with Abel. Later, when Israel was a divided people, fighting over their false gods, even our Lord felt division in his family. And when someone asked him about Hear your mothers and your brothers. You know what Jesus says. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus makes clear love is not love when the fourth commandment, that's the family stuff, betrays the first commandment, seeking to silence the gospel mission sent out. I know this personally as a pastor. Visiting family can be tough because everybody knows my job and so no one talks about it. It's right there. Just like you may feel that same thing in your family in a different way by being married, holding that marriage by grace, or just praying before you eat. Causing opposition is not the purpose of Jesus. But it is the, the, the result. For his word and peace goes even before our families. To have Jesus is to also know you're going to have strife. If this pain cuts deep, remember the love Jesus sets before our life. Behind all these aspects of suffering is how the Lord knows our weaknesses and distresses. Love for family, avoiding the cross, or denial to lose one's life falls prey to the world's peace. And yet a better love is going before our life, and it belongs to Jesus, and we know why, because he is Savior and the Lord. It means paying attention to him alone. Because no family ties, hardship to bear, 
or personal gain to celebrate will save us from death and even hell itself. Jesus is not against a good life, though. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to learn good things, get a good job, marry the right person, have a family. All that is good life. That's nothing wrong with that. But his eternal peace stands out from all the rest of it. Because a spouse can die or leave. Children also can die or leave even the family. All these can hurt very deeply, but the eternal peace of Jesus stands out. He saves us by holding up his faithfulness as God, speaking the truth for our peace. So you just got to have to hear it from your pastor. It's going to have to be read in the scriptures for what it says and taken very seriously because Jesus wants us to know the truth. Nothing is more than me, he says. Yes, follow me. And no, not you, but for my sake. Since it was in his cross and giving of himself, Jesus even felt division and abandonment by his Father for our peace. Instead of removing the sword, the living Jesus now renders his service by word and sacrament. He still comes to say, I'm here to care for your wounds. This forgiveness, renewal, strength, and comfort the world cannot give as peace. It can keep trying to borrow money. It can keep trying to elect great leaders to solve all the problems. But what Jesus brings, the world cannot give. Since, it's not, since it is to trust and count on Christ alone. The gospel sent out is such a great task. And small churches really know what that means. Rely on the freedom of peace that Christ goes with you, with us. Just as our Lord hears our prayers over the strife, he ends his missionary sermon with the better promise, that last part. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The word sent out is not isolated. This is the problem today. You think it's my opinion of purely an individual, even you when you speak. But it's not. Jesus goes with those confessing him before the world. Missionaries go to distant lands for him. Pastors are called to be servants of his word. Even the baptized confess Jesus in their life. And you know that pressures, maybe even at a job, of what that may mean today. This faithfulness to another means a friendliness. And this is the careful part, Wabash people. It's more than a friendliness to you as a person. It's so much more than that. It's about being welcomed because of Jesus. And so Jesus is received, and with him, the Heavenly Father. When people welcome you in that way, 
The gospel of peace is that message of the cross, including the promise Jesus is reconciling by the word to others through us. So even as you hear me as your pastor, there is Jesus by his word doing what he promises as you believe in him, not me. Instead of a disappointment, there is peace given before life at the present. Our Lord made the personal claim and what he ends today. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now here's the thing. Most people think this is talking about children and the poor but it's actually about the care shown towards Jesus' disciples. It can be children like in confirmation or those in the church who are truly struggling with poverty, but it's really about Jesus' disciples. God delivered peace to his servants long ago, like to Elijah cared for by a widow. Remember that? Or David's best friend was Saul's son who was his enemy. So giving to this church is not like any institution. Don't fool yourselves. But to the body of Christ with peace upheld by the word at work in our midst. Not just by me, but that's the public thing but within all of us, and even our homes. The smallest care extended to missionaries, pastors, and so thank for the anniversary cards, that's always uplifting, and even to a brother and sister in Christ is glorious to our Lord. No one might give you thanks for that, or even say thank you very easily or forget to do that, but the Lord sees it. It's glorious to Jesus. This aim of care goes above the law. So don't ask me for a list to do things. Pastor, what can I do to make sure people know that I, that I thank them? Or, or what can I do to help people in the church? You really want me to give you a list? Love doesn't look like that anymore. St. Paul says, we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. And so how did Jesus give and care for his disciples? How did the disciples care for each other after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to glory that the church would live amongst itself in love? This aim of care is a great thing. Our nation upholds freedom, but don't forget, it's still bound to the world's way of peace, it sort of works. I'm glad to live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, but not like the freedom going with you in Christ. He secured this all by grace in his death and resurrection to save sinners. While discomfort may be among the baptized, everlasting peace is Jesus freely before you all. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding be with your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and in this place. 
to life everlasting. Amen. At this time, we rise and continue singing the offertory on page 192. 